There are people that live among us that may sit next to us who are hiding from who they are, hiding from pieces of who they are, because they've been given reasons to hide. There's a woman who had been married five times. We don't know why she was married five times. We, we don't know if she was put away, which is kind of how they would have talked about divorce back in this culture of Jesus' day. We don't know if her husband would have died or many of them had died. What we do know is that this particular woman was marginalized by her society simply because she was a woman. Women didn't have the same kind of rights, educationally, vocationally. But more than that, having more than one husband in this woman's day was, uh, was worthy of her being marginalized. Because it wasn't popular then, and I know it's so far removed from our particular cultures now, but then if you were married once and put away, as a woman you were powerless, and so you were just up creek, you were, you were done. You were commodified to the degree that you might have been considered used goods. And so men would not have had much for you in their life at this particular point. This particular woman, to make it worse for her in light of cultural systems and those categories of separation and belonging that existed in Jesus' day, she was not just a woman. She was not just a been married five times before a woman. She was a Samaritan been married five times before a woman. And I don't know how much you know about Samaritans and Jews, but let's just say they didn't get along. A lot of racial and ethnic tension taking place in their cultures. And there's a history behind that, but we don't have time really to dive in that here. But this woman was so ashamed of who she was that John tells us that she went to the well at noon. Now, going to the well in the hot of the day was not highly recommended. That wasn't in your how to go to the well manual that you got growing up. <laughs> and in this particular woman's case, who has been married five times before, she obviously had a job to do because apparently the text tells us she was living with another dude, which means she could have been somebody's concubine, maybe somebody's house slave, because Going to the well at noon is not something just you, you just normally do. But not only that, she should have gone at 6 o'clock in the evening. She should have gone in the evening of the day when the sun wasn't beating down on the brow quite so much. But she could not go to the well at the evening time because if she goes to the well at the evening, she's going to have to face all the other women at the well. And if she faces all the other women at the well, she's going to have to hear what she knows happens when she walks by those women during the day. She's going to have to see them scooch to the side when she gets there. She's going to have to see them look at her the way they're going to look at her. She's going to have to hear them sneer at her. She's going to have to hear them judge her because she's been married five times before and she's living with a man who's not her husband. And you don't do that. This woman has no respect from the neighbors. So she goes at noon. Because even going to the well at noon, even going to the well at the hot of the day is better than going to the well at the cool of the day and have to face your brokenness. It might, I say, have to face everybody else's brokenness too, right? Especially the ones who don't realize they're broken. Because those are the fun ones. <laughs> we like those people. She does what most of us do. She takes the hard road and goes to the heat of the day just to hide. Because we think it's safer there. 
even though it's hotter there, we think it's safer there. You see, the thing about life is we all have to go to the well. Because it's at the well that you get the water. And water's where we need to live. And so we go to the well in the heat of the day to find the water that we need to live. Just so we can hide from what we really need in order to live. Now, what I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't have to go this way. Now, the text in John tells us he had to go through Samaria. But there's a little trick that John plays. John's a tricksy fellow. <laughs> He's telling you he had to go, not because he literally had to go. Because pious Jews would not go through Samaria for reasons that I just communicated, that they didn't get along too well. The racial hostility was too thick. Pious Jews would have gone east, crossed the River Jordan, gone a different way, crossed the River Jordan again, just to not go through Samaria. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. You know why Jesus had to go through Samaria? Because she was going to be there. She was going to be there. So the text tells us that Jesus gets there, and around noon, coinkity, it's Jacob's well, and he's hot because it's noon, and even Jesus has to drink wine and water. <laughs> yeah, it's in the Bible. <laughs> and he has to get something to drink. He has to take a rest. He has to sit. But he knows who's going to be there. He knows she's going to be there. She doesn't know he's going to be there. So when she sees this Jewish man, and she knows he's a Jew... Because Jesus was a Jew. You know, he wasn't Swedish with blonde hair and blue eyes, <laughs> like the movies would suggest, with a flowing robe. Handsome Swedish guy with blonde hair and blue eyes. I digress. <laughs> Wished I was Swedish with blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm just frumpy and bald. <laughs> but again, I digress. So Jesus is at the well, the woman at the well. By the way, that's what she's known of in the story. She's known as the woman at the well. I don't know why. I'm sure she had a name. But maybe John didn't give her a name. Because John wanted us to insert ours. I don't know. So anyhow, we go to the well at noon. And Jesus is there. And Jesus looks at her and he says to her, give me a drink. Please. He didn't say please. It's not in the Greek. <laughs> and she says, why do you ask me to give you a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're a man, I'm a woman. You shouldn't ask me for a drink. See, because here's the deal. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans and Jewish rabbis and men didn't talk to women without their husbands. It was just something you don't do. It's a cultural no-no. Jesus doesn't do well with cultural no-nos. And so the text tells us, If you knew the gift of God, Jesus says, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. If you knew the gift of God, and who it was that was here at the well with you, you would ask me for a drink. If you saw me for who I was, 
And you knew the gift that I could be to you? You wouldn't go fetching water at noon. You wouldn't go to that well and try to draw from that well some sort of purpose that you keep seeking, thinking you're going to find it in the well of academia or in the well of relationships or in the well of a CV or a resume. You knew the gift of God that was sitting here before you, you would ask me for a drink. She said, sir, you don't even have a bucket. The well is deep, so where are you going to get this living water? You know, because she's getting what he's saying right now. <laughs> you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us a well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, whoever drinks from this water will get thirsty again because that's how these wells work. See, these artificial wells, they're real wells, by the way. Like, they're real. Like, academics is real. Relationships are real. Jobs are real. The need for money is real. But they're artificial wells. They don't have the living water. It's good water. It'll fill you up. It's good. It tastes good. It's nice to have. Yeah, it'll store up a little bit for yourself. But don't find your identity in that stuff because it's not living water. That's what he, like, I think that's what he means. Because he says, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him or her will never get thirsty again ever. In fact, the water I'll give them will become a well of water springing up within them for eternal life. Like, that water transforms into a well. Man, there's so much we could talk about, but we're all tired. <laughs> Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come to draw water. So Jesus then says, go call your husband. Sounds random. She's like, can you, can you give me that water? He's like, call your husband. Because Jesus is, in a sense, kind of poking at, okay, I'm going to go ahead and play the cultural game for a minute. And I can't talk to you. I've got to talk to your husband. But Jesus knows, see, because he just poked at something. Because he said, go call your husband. Anybody know her response? I have no husband. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. This is where Jesus sounds kind of snarky. <laughs> like, for real. Like, let's just be honest. <laughs> he says, uh, yeah, you've said it right. Because you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And then she... I don't know if she's dodging, but she's like, so you're a prophet, huh? <laughs> you ever had those conversations? Like, you finally poke at it, it's like, oh, so you like that shirt, huh? <laughs> like, you're a prophet. Yeah, my father's worshiped on this mountain. And you say, Jews worship there. Jesus says, believe me, there's going to come a point in time where people will worship God in spirit and in truth. Say truth. truth. See, that's, that's an important part. And then he says, For the Father wants such to seek him. He wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Another translation says that God is seeking folks like this. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I am he. Mm -hmm. You want to know what's significant about that? He said, this is the first person that Jesus reveals that he's a Messiah to. A woman. A Samaritan woman. 
A Samaritan woman who's five times married before, a Samaritan woman running from her shame and her guilt and her brokenness, even though it's hot in the middle of the day, that person running from herself, from her story, because somehow she's bought into the idea that her identity's bound up in her story. So even though she's bought into the idea that her identity is bound up in these times where her heart has been ripped out of her chest, thrown on the ground, stepped on, picked up, wrung out, and handed back to her, even though she's bought into the idea that her identity is bound up in that, and she's going to the well at noon, this is the first person that Jesus reveals himself to as the freaking king of the Jews? <laughs> like, that's huge! <laughs> Freaking's in the Greek. <laughs> he says, I'm the freaking Messiah. <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like, I'm the freaking Messiah. No, like, he is the Messiah. He's the king of the Jews. Like, this is the woman. Not, not a government official, right? Like, not a, not a rabbi, not a priest, not a dude. A woman, a five-time married before a woman, going to the well at noon, running from her shame, running from her guilt, running from it all because somehow she's bought into the cultural identity what culture tells her that her identity is bound up in this. And Jesus is saying, that's not it. Yeah. And see, what she doesn't know is that Jesus didn't have to find her, but Jesus was seeking her. Yeah. you got to know that in the story. He pursued her. He could have gone all kinds of different ways. He could have Ubered a camel somewhere else. <laughs> but he chose to go this direction because she was going to be at the well. And she's hiding. And Jesus is seeking. And he meets her there. You know what's great about the story? Besides all the other stuff we talked about? <laughs> Is that he's the one who initiates it all. See, we call that grace. When God initiates this. She just thought she was going to go draw water. But Jesus knew what it was he was going to go draw. He was going to draw from within her. From within her brokenness, he was going to draw beauty. From within her hurt, he was going to draw healing. From within her shame, he was going to draw salvation. From within her hiding, he was going to draw amazing healing. You want to know how I know that's true? Because if you read the rest of the chapter, she leaves her jar at the well. And you know what she does? She runs back to the people she's been running from to tell them, you got to meet this man who told me everything I have done. And you know what happened to that entire city, that village? They came to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. I don't know what you're hiding from. 
But I know chances are, if not all of us, most of us are hiding from something. And the thing about hiding is uh, it's, it's, it's safe, at least so we think. But the thing about hiding is it gets hot there, like going to the well at noon. It's lonely there, like going to the well by yourself at noon. But the thing about hiding is Jesus is really good at seeking. Because here's the thing, you're here tonight. You're here tonight, and this is what we're talking about. I call that Jesus seeking. You. Because you could have done a lot of other things tonight, right? I mean, it's Friday night and happening in Williamsburg, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's all kinds of things to do before nine. <laughs> like, what's up with that? Somebody open a piano bar or something. <laughs> You could have done any other thing, but you came here tonight. And Jesus has met you here. But here's the thing. Here's the question. Do you see the gift that he is in wanting to meet you here? Do you see that he knew her best, and yet he loved her most? And do you see that he knows you best and loves you most? Do you know that you can't hide from him so you don't have to go to the well at noon? But if you do, he'll meet you there. But you don't have to hide. Because no one is beyond healing and redemption. If we are, and screw the whole thing, it's not worth it. But I know for a fact, because of my own brokenness, because of our sister's brokenness, because of our shared brokenness, and because of her healing and my healing and our shared healing, healing that I can't quantify or qualify, but healing for which I can testify that God is at work. And Jesus is pursuing it. Because you're here. And he knows you best and he loves you most. And here's the thing about Jesus. Here's what the woman at the well had to know. He loves you just as you are, not as you should be. Because after all, who among us is going to be who we should be? But here's what I also know about the love of Jesus. When you encounter him and see him for the gift that he is, you don't leave the same. If you do, you might not have met Jesus. And that's the hard part of the well. See, because Jesus loves you just as you are and not as you should be, but he loves you too doggone much to leave you as you are. And he wants to transform you into who you can be. All you have to do is decide whether or not you see him as the gift that he really is. And let me ask you, man, tell me if you find something better because I want some of it. <laughs> because if there's water, then the water that Jesus is in my life, bring it on because I need it. Because I got, a, I got an eight-year-old boy who needs it too. And I got a wife who needs it too. So if there's better water than Jesus, you got to let a brother know. <laughs> I don't think there is. Because you need to know that there's nothing you're ever going to do that's going to form you and heal you 
and holds you more closely, more fully, more completely than the Christ who meets you at the well. Unless you think this is all like some sort of chicken soup or the religious soul stuff that I'm talking about. Remember the people among you who have had the courage to share the stories of their lives. And know that you just don't do that unless something else is going on inside. You don't just do it unless something happens. So this woman, she went back to that village. She went back to that village because she knew then that she had nothing to prove. Because when you find Jesus and you meet him there at the well, you realize that there's nothing left you have to prove. Because everything that you are is already exposed by the God who knows you best and loves you most anyway. And when you have nothing to prove, you have nothing to fear. So, my son is eight. And when he was four, he played t-ball. And he sucked at it. (laughs) Um, And I say that out of all kinds of love for my son. But the fact of the matter is, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. It just wasn't happening for him. And not only that, it was t-ball. Like, right? Like, here's the t, here's the ball. Hit it, right? Like you would think. And he finally got ahead of that, but he couldn't, he couldn't catch. He couldn't catch anything. But, but he wanted to play t-ball, and I'm a stereotype of a dad. So I went to the store, and I bought, like, the most expensive bat bag I could find, the best glove I could find, and I made him look like a boss, like right? Like he was dressed up in his stuff on his game day, and he was carrying his bat bag with his glove, and he looked like a boss. Like nobody was going to, like, here's the thing. I knew if he was going to stink, he was going to look good doing it, right? Like that was my agenda, right? So, so we're, walking, we're walking to the ball field, and he and his mama and I, and he just stops, and he freezes. You could say he, he turned around and went to his well. He, he froze. And I said, come on, bud. And he did this. So I told Alice, I said, go on up there, and I'll go back in. And so Ian, my boy, had this look of fear on his face. And so I got on my knee, because I wanted to look him in the eye. I said, what's wrong, buddy? He said, I don't want to go. I said, why not? He said, I don't want to go. I what if they make fun of me? I said, they probably will. It's yeah, bad of the year. Don't judge me. <laughs> I said, but so what? He said, what if I mess up? I said, you probably will. I was like, thinking, like, have you seen yourself play? <laughs> I was thinking that. I didn't say it. <laughs> I give a kid, like, all kinds of self-esteem problems. <laughs> Just a little bit. Not a lot. <laughs> And he just looked at me and said, well, I don't want to go. Which, uh, you know, like, because I'm so pastoral in my fatherly ways. <laughs> but this is what I said. I said, who are you? I said, what? What do you mean? I said, who are you? What's your name? He said, Ian. I said, Ian what? He said, Ian Ligon. I said, no, no, no. What's your whole name? He said, Ian James Ligon. See, what you need to know is Ian means the graciousness of God, and he knows that. James was his grandfather, his deceased grandfather's name, which means strength. Ligon is our name. I said, what's your name? He said, Ian James Ligon. I said, who loves you? He said, Mommy. I'm like, dude. <laughs> like, I'm the one. Like, she's out there. I'm here, you know. I said, who else loves you? He says, you. I said, who am I? He says, Daddy. 
I said, who else loves you? He says, Jesus. I said, who else? He said, God. I don't want to talk Trinity with you right now. <laughs> He's eight. He's four at the time. I said, do you know what that means? He says, no. He says, you have nothing to prove. That's what that means. You have nothing to prove. Because whether you fail on the field or not, you're going to enter the field as Ian James Ligon loved my mommy, daddy, Jesus, and God, and you're going to leave the field as Ian James Ligon loved my mommy, daddy, Jesus, and God. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to change that. Right? And I said, so what's your name? He said, Ian James Ligon. I said, who loves you? He said, Mommy, Daddy, Jesus, and God. I said, what does that mean? And he said, I have nothing to prove. And I said, what is your name? And he said, Ian James Ligon. I said, who loves you? He said, Mommy, Daddy, God, and Jesus. I said, what does that mean? He says, I have nothing to prove. <laughs> now, I'd like to say that we started chest bumping, head bumping, and started doing this thing, but we didn't. He just went out to the field, and he played, and he stunk at it. <laughs> But he played, and he played the whole season. And every day since he was four, I have prayed over him that he'll remember he has nothing to prove. Because I don't want him growing up needing this message like I've needed all my life. But here's the thing, you don't need it either. So I'm going to ask you all a question. I want you to say your name. What's your name? Clark. Now your answer is going to be God the Father, Son, and Spirit. <laughs> we must be theologically correct. <laughs> Who loves you? God the God Father, the Son, and Spirit. You know what that means? I have nothing to prove. So what's your name? Connor Elliot Clark. Who loves you? God the God Father, Father, Son, and Spirit. Spirit. You know what that means? I have nothing to prove. What's your name? Who loves you? God the Father, Son, and Spirit. You know what that means? I have nothing to prove. And I, by the, in the name of Jesus, you don't. So come out of hiding. Because you're safe there with Christ.